0: Funhouse. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of the Funhouse Family Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Tabes. On today's show, we interview Jim Stewart-Allen. Jim has performed stand-up all over the Pacific Northwest and is currently working on a documentary feature about the well-known educational computer game, Oregon Trail. So why don't you stick around and find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. Oh, sorry, join us
1: i am watching boxing for there's i i watch a lot of boxing uh Mm -hmm. from like i guess from like 1996 to 2004 era uh so i watched there's no other sports going on. And so luckily I can just watch boxing from that era. And some of the fight, most of the fights I can figure out who either who's going to win or I already know who's going to win Uh just from all my knowledge of it. But I, I can sometimes even find fights where I don't know who's going to win and I'll go into like this mode where I'm like watching the actual fight at the end. I'm like, oh my God, pull through from me, Winky, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so are you just, you're just watching like these are pre recorded fights then? Yeah. You're just they're going they're back? like
1: HBO. I mean, they're like pay per view HBO uh, fights that cost $60 to see in 2007 oh, okay. or whatever. Um, right, Um But now they're just on YouTube. So I, I just, I just watched these fights on YouTube <laughs> and it's great. I love it. And I can do it. And a lot of people think it's weird, uh, but I can do it. And so, especially like right now, uh, I'm in the zone because <laughs> I can just watch <laughs> these, these sporting events. Other sports too uh, of earlier times I can watch, but boxing for the most part, like I, I can just I can sit through fights, and especially if I don't know, like I'll, I'll watch uh, undercards and stuff uh, of boxers who no one's heard of, and those fights I don't know who's gonna win usually. And I'll just sit there and be so entranced <laughs> in the whole thing.
0: <laughs> what what is it about boxing that um, it draws you in? What is it about is or, or and are there other sports that you um, that you ca- tend to like gravitate boxing. towards? Like, I always
1: nothing like boxing. Yeah, and, football I love too, and it, we might yeah. get into football later because I do have a profound connection with football but um boxing illustrates the the human story in such a profound way of uh, Mm. like there's i mean there's like these underdog stories that you hear about in football or baseball or any other sport but boxing is like it's one person you know and they're like there's no mask over them there's no um he, there's no helmet. It's like it's a guy in a ring with another guy and you can see everything that's happening. You can see like an emotional breakdown. you can see if they're tired. you can see if they're like ready to go and so it's so intense um, uh, yeah. And so I think when I when I look at events that happen in my life or other people's lives, uh, a lot of the times, I can find a boxing match that exactly uh, aligns with that w- with that kind of moment that's happening, um, and so boxing helps me visualize uh, different things uh, that I'm going through in my life or that I have gone through in my life. Uh, it kind of uh, it, like, puts it oh, in yeah. perspective.
0: Yeah. It, it That's almost like a, way of maybe what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what I was gonna say is like it's almost like you're putting uh you you there's almost like some meaning making when you're yeah. when you're watching boxing like you're you're and I think you you can plug and chug any kind of event too where it's like oh wow like I feel like I'm also going on some parallel yes. journey that this person's yes, this also guy experiencing who's
1: getting too. punched is going through, but like I'm being emotionally punched that way or, you know, something different. Um, Yeah. But there's, yeah, you can, you can connect with these different, these different boxers and you can go back. I mean, I go back to about 96 when I'm watching boxing, just because, that's the cameras that I like <laughs> the cameras are yeah. before then. Um, I guess it's yeah, yeah. I figured out. so it's like people, whenever I say I like boxing, people are like, Oh, you like, uh, like, do you like Muhammad Ali? And like, uh, the, you know, the greats, the golden era. Greats. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of all the names back then. Marvin Hagler. I mean, Uh, All those guys, God, I can only think of two right now for some reason, but I guess that's the point is like, I watched boxing from 96 to about 2009 because I like things in the past, but I also like to watch stuff with nice cameras too. And I'm not saying stuff before then is too bad of cameras, but I just, I like having my stuff in HD. Um, I can deal with it yeah. in 4K but it's nice to watch, you know, a 2007 boxing match in, in that nice HD quality, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you see all the blood, the sweat and the tears. Yes. <laughs> in HD. <laughs> well,
1: you know and I guess that's that's another good point is that it's um the one of the reasons I mostly watch HBO fights from that era is because there's commentators that I just love who do a really good right. job. So there there's a lot of things going on with boxing uh that I like. Uh the comment I mean the commentary is a good point because it, the commentary just resembles commentating uh, like a an, a life event that you're actually going through, right? It, just put in terms of boxing, but there's yeah. so much going on with boxing that I really, really like, and it and it helps me um, look at life in a different way, and it helps me process my trials and tribulations in a different way, and I'm just really grateful that I discovered it and that I can watch it, uh, whenever I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I no so much I access
0: want. to it. Yeah. Uh, so
1: yeah. And like, um, well, I was going to say
0: like this, this kind of was a, this is going to be a question I ask you later, but I can yeah. jump to it because it made me think of it. Is as, uh, yeah. um, you know, you seem like, uh, from, from some of the, you know, like you have that romper of the, um, the Dixie, the very cup iconic, romper. yeah, the Dixie cup romper. Yeah. And you're talking about like looking back at these sporting events from like the 90s and the early 2000s. Do you, would you consider yourself to be? Um, would you describe yourself as being a nostalgic person? Someone who's interested oh, in nostalgia? Yeah, definitely.
1: His- um, but I would say that I'm nostalgic towards. I'm like right as I'm saying that I'm nostalgic. I'm looking. I'm. I'm not even making this up. I'm looking at four Oregon Trail. Do you know those Oregon Trail handheld games that they start? Um, I've seen
0: there? them around, but. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, you're, they're basically much more.
1: handheld way to play the Oregon Trail computer game from 1990, is essentially what it is. I'm. Right now I'm looking at four of them stacked up on my wall and I've asked for none of them. They're all, they've all been given to me and I haven't asked for any of them and not even like for a birthday or Christmas. Just one of them was given to me on Christmas. The other three were just like, here are you. I figured you wanted this. I figured you would <laughs> need this in your life. And I appreciate every time it happens And I've never sold – I've never, like, given any of them back or um, returned any of them or anything. I just – I like having them. Eventually, I'll start giving them away, but I I just like having four Oregon Trail uh, handheld systems set up in my – on my wall. So yeah, I am nostalgic. I would say. <laughs> what, um, what
0: do you think is like your relate? Like, can you describe that relationship? Like what, um, what do you think motivates that, that like fascination with the past?
1: That's a great question. You know, I, I'm a history major. Uh, right. I, I majored in history at Western. And so I think it comes from like, I don't know, the the history classes when you first start doing history are so broad. And so you get introduced, I mean, you have like, what, 10 weeks in a quarter and and you're getting introduced to 700, 800 years of history. I'm trying to remember what the exact years were in the introductory courses. And I think you went to Western too. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's where we met. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I I just went from such broad classes uh, like those Mm -hmm. uh, and then narrowed it down over years from like the history of Western civilization to college life in America from 1775 to present. So it just gets super in depth. So in those Mm. periods of time, you kind of find your you kind of find what you like to do uh, Mm. or what you like to study. Because the history is just the study of anything that happened pretty much before. Um, However current you want to get and those ancient historians will make fun of the modern historians and call them journalists. But you can (laughs) which is a funny joke. I always like hearing that. Uh, my, yeah, my medieval good. history professor would always call my modern history professors, respectfully, of course, journalists, because they're basically <laughs> just reporting on what's happening today, which oh that's a great historical joke. But um oh, where was I going with that? Um so yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah, I zeroed in on um well, you know, I wrote my senior thesis in the medieval uh Middle Ages, but I really zeroed in on, and this is in the bigger picture, been uh, what I loved about history, what, what I got the most out of it, I think, was, was taking these Cold War classes, and my professor would show us media that was, and this goes back to boxing, right? I never even made this connection maybe until now, but she would show us media, you know, cartoons from the Cold War era. Uh, and and show us how those impacted the cold or, you know, how the cold war impacted cartoons uh, and stuff like this. And so over time in, in this modern era of history, more and more media pops up out of this and there's becomes more ways to study history. And so I really, I think tapped into that. And so my nostalgia, and uh, my, you know, growing up, the stuff that I loved growing up, uh, I, it becomes like historical relics and, and primary sources. And these go back years and years. So it, it's kind of a fascination of that concept, I guess.
0: It's a, it sounds like it's almost like making meaning. It's, again, going back to making meaning of almost like your your current, your present uh experience like using these yeah. pa- like i mean that seems li- a yes. little simplified in a way maybe a little no no, no, duh, no. you're
1: totally right you're totally right i agree with that so you, you
0: talked a little bit about uh growing up i do want to kind of um uh go back in time a little bit and i wanted to go back to uh a uh, uh, baby gym. Uh, can yes. you speak a little bit about your, your upbringing? Like what were you like as a kid? What was your relationship like with your parents?
1: Yeah. You know, I, love, I loved my parents and I love my parents. It's always been that way. I've been yeah. really, really lucky with that. Um, so I've had a, I've had a really good relationship with my parents. Uh, they're both history professors. Uh, so <laughs> that, that might explain. That, that makes sense. I I explained my fascination with history in all these ways. uh, But yeah, that's another way is my parents are both history professors. Uh, I was born in Bishop, California. Their first gig as history professors were at uh, Deep Springs College. And then they had me in Bishop, California, which is the closest hospital there. I actually go there every spring now besides this one, because everything's crazy. Go back to Bishop to reconnect. Um, But my, uh, we eventually moved to Tacoma because the university of Washington, Tacoma branch campus of university of Washington had just opened in Tacoma and they, um, my dad got a job there and my mom got one shortly after. So I'm pretty much based in Tacoma uh, and I got to go to the uh, Grant Elementary uh, School for the Expressive Arts. I mean, that was my first big exposure to um, being an artist and expressing myself in in that sort of way, um, if we're if we're going into more of my arts background of my upbringing, I would say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what 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 were some of the things that you know you mentioned art and you mentioned history and, and it makes uh-huh. sense that you're, that the history stuff rubbed off on you because of your your parents' background. Yeah, but what were some of the things like you were interested in as a kid, like activities, um, like hobbies, like what what were some of those things?
1: Yeah. Um. So you know, I didn't get I didn't get my Game Boy Color until I was in fifth grade. And before that I didn't have any video games. So I think that's pretty profound that I didn't have, I had computer games, but I did not have uh, like a Nintendo 64 or a NES or a super Nintendo or a Sega, any of that. I didn't have that uh, until I got a game boy color when I was in fifth gate. So maybe 1999, Um so I guess, you know, I, I played mostly computer games um, yeah uh, as a kid. And so I played like, uh, and, and we'll talk, I already talked about Oregon Trail. It's, it's, we're, what, we were like 14 minutes into the interview and I brought up Oregon Trail out of <laughs> nowhere without you even asking me a question. You were just like, what do you think about nostalgia? I'm like, Oregon Trail. <laughs> um so, yeah, I played a lot of Oregon Trail. I played a lot of educational computer games because uh, I found mm. those the most engaging to me. Um, so I played Amazon Trail a lot as well. Amazon Trail 3, to be specific. There's three Amazon Trails. Um, yeah. And I played Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? You know, my mom got me when I was about four, I would say – I think this store was called comp USA and we yeah. had this computer store and we went in and my mom specifically got on a floppy disk. She got a uh, Carmen where in the, where in the world is Carmen San Diego on a floppy disk. And that yeah. was and like in a box, you know, this is this story is old. I mean, I was about four when they were selling floppy disks in stores. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, like games. And this is like going back. I'm I'm remembering this for, I, I haven't recalled this story in a while. So that's why I'm so crazy about it right now. But uh, my mom got me that game. And so uh, educational computer games have always kind of been in my life. And I didn't, the first game I played that wasn't, the first game I fell in love with that wasn't like I would say an educational computer game was uh, was I would definitely uh, say Pokemon Blue, which is what I got from or from uh, from Oregon Trail for my Game Boy Color. For <laughs> I think 1999 I got an atomic blue or an atomic purple, sorry, an atomic purple Game Boy Color for Christmas with Pokemon blue. And that was the first game that I played religiously. That wasn't Oregon trail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You sound like, um, you know, some of the things you had mentioned earlier was like, you were, you know, you sound like the kind of stereotypical, uh, a child of the nineties where you were interested in like things like PBS and, and Nickelodeon yeah. cartoons. Yeah. Do you think those, um, uh, yeah, you want to speak on that a little bit?
1: PB, I mean, PBS... It, it's weird because some of PBS I really, really got into as a kid. And other parts of PBS, I didn't... I, For some reason, I just wasn't into as much. I don't know why. Um, I just... It was kind of a choice. It was like, eh, I, I don't really like that. I'm not really going to watch that thing. Uh, and those two... Bill Nye, the science guy, I never got into until I was about 23 or so, weirdly enough. Never got into Mm. it as a kid. Uh, And then the other one was Ghost Rider, which I never got into until, again, I was a lot older, probably like two years ago I got into that. But uh, Mm. things like Arthur, loved Arthur. Watch that every day. Uh before school, usually after school. There's a show called Liberty's Kids. Do you ever watch Liberty's Kids?
0: No, I never watched Liberty's Kids, but I'm I'm very aware
1: of it. <laughs> you were aware of that Liberty's was... Kids. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. was it to you like it was for me with Ghost Rider rolling? Eh, I'm not watching that. It looks kind of weird or something.
0: Yeah, I think I think for me, like I would just you know, there were, I was so invested in so many different cartoons. It's almost like now where it's just yeah. like, there's so much television to watch. Like, yeah. I, I like, some, like I really remember loving like Arthur and, and Hey Arnold. And like, yes. um, uh, I was big Rocco's modern life fan because oh, I felt like they were
1: my gosh, Rocco's modern. What were, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Oh, well, no. What I was saying is like, I, I really like those cartoons and I, I don't think it, 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 it takes the now to realize what made me fascinated in those cartoons, because obviously they're funny. They're geared towards kids, people our age at that time. But I think what I found really, what I really loved about those cartoons was the fact that like, it it was like this, the amount of social commentary embedded in the cartoons as well as like, I never felt like they were speaking down to me as a kid. Like yeah. I felt like when I was watching Hey Arnold or Doug, even like, I felt like, oh, these are similar experiences I'm having in school or like,
1: yeah. um,
0: and I, 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 I thought there was like a, and, and looking back at that now, you know, even some of the Rugrats episodes, you're like, man, they, that was really progressive ideas for that yeah. time. Like well, that, they just like,
1: nail the emotions that you're going through so well. And I think Rocco's modern life specifically nailed that like as a kid and still does as an adult, like going through adult life. I think Rocco's modern life nailed that stress of of going through what everyone else maybe sees as normal. You're just like, oh, my gosh, this is too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Did you watch the new Rocco's Modern Life uh that they uh did on Netflix? Is it good? They
1: base
0: It's good. Yeah, it's it's uh it's basically in like they just they come back down to earth after like every, you know to like a basically a current 21st century society right. so you see them like interacting with like smartphones and yeah. like you know the yeah, digital that's age. Yeah, good. Or, and, yeah, it's it is good. It's uh it's smart and it's um you know it's definitely I definitely think it holds up in the sense of like it it, it is the spirit of the show, but it's in a totally different uh kind of context.
1: One of my um, best stand up comedy moments to date is I opened for the voice of Rocco. Uh his name is Carlos oh, cool. Rocky. He does the voice of Rocco. He did, he does a bunch of voices. I mean, he like if you ever watch SpongeBob, he does that surfer dude. All right, dude, that guy. He does that guy too. He does a bunch of voices. I mean, he's a voice so he's a voiceover actor in LA. Uh, yeah, he's on Reno nine one one too. He's he's uh, he's in a bunch of stuff. Anyway, I I uh, I got to open for him once and. I got, I did my set, the set went well, and I got off stage. And in the green room, he came up to me and in Rocco's voice went, Good set, mate. And I like, <laughs> imagine, it was so cool that Rocco himself complimented. My set is being good. So there's an aside for for Rocco's Modern Life fans. Uh, The voice of Rocco, very good person.
0: Hey, hey, it's like a, Hey Jim, hi, good job about that. Like,
1: you know? Yes. It was, it was great, but it was like his voice exactly. Cause that's who, who does his voice. And I was like, Oh my God, Rocco <laughs> said that I had a good set. Whenever I watch Rocco's modern life, I'm like, he said I had a good set.
0: <laughs> it's like a, like a, it's almost like it's coming full circle in a way. Like I love those yeah. moments. Like yeah. it's like, um, you know, something I have that sometimes where and maybe this is a little bit of like a like kind of a self-centered uh, viewpoint. But it's um, like it's almost like, oh, wow, like this thing that's happening now, like this is uh, how do I describe it? It's like a, it's like a feeling of deja vu where you're like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be because this yeah, is what's led me uh... to this place.
1: Yeah, and, and having that I'm moment. And this is, this is what came out of it. Is that what you're kind of saying?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, like, it's like, even, even just in small moments, not, not necessarily with like celebrities, but like the fact that like we met each other in college and then now, you know, and then you did that show with us Funhouse tonight, like having like, Oh, like who would have thought we would be in that moment. Right. You know, doing yeah. that kind of, you know, it's it's kind of magical in a way
1: When we met at western it like it wasn't like we didn't know each other like super super well but it wasn't a brief meet. like we knew each other um yeah 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 yeah, this is this is cool we knew each other well enough that like this moment right now is really cool that we get to talk again on a podcast
0: yeah exactly and i i feel like it's almost like um I don't know, like not like a meant to be type of thing that might be a little too fatalistic, but it's like it's a it's almost like the the things because we're both interested in arts in some way, like comedy, and we have similar interests. It's just going to make sense logically that there are going to be people on that journey of either producing or absorbing art uh, that are going to be in that that are going to be in that same metaphorical room. as
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, we were bound to to get back together at some point. You're right, um, right. It, but it was just like we had it hadn't happened yet because we're in different realms of performing mm-hmm. arts. But my weirdness found your weirdness, and we're we're now back <laughs> on track. Um, yeah, yeah. It took years to figure out like the the the, the way that we. Linked up again was that I played Oregon Trail on one of your variety shows. And uh, that the Oregon Trail show I do, where I play Oregon Trail on a projector, has evolved and in front of a live audience has evolved over years and finally to the point where I could play it for just like it used to be a full show. I could only do it for full shows. And I realized like I could do this for like a 10 to 15 minute chunk, uh, just right. it really fast. And so I discovered that. And through that discovery, I was able to uh, find you and get on that. Uh, the or You found, I can't remember who found each other, but um, because of that format and because of all those years of tinkering, I was able to do something that fit your format um, of theater, and that was really cool. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we're gonna um, we're gonna take a break. Oh. Uh, I want to uh, talk more about uh, stand up comedy. I want to talk more about Oregon Trail, and I also want to yeah. talk about this uh, kind of media attention you've been getting uh, oh. doing these kind of dance videos. So, yeah.
2: Um,
0: but yeah, we'll yes. we'll take a quick break. We'll take a quick break and uh, and then we'll we'll cut, we'll we'll resume our talk.
1: Sounds good. Funhouse.
2: The Funhouse family loves the Woods Tasting Room because it's a cool place that has options for all of our tastes. They have beer. They have cider. They have seltzer. You can bring your dog. <laughs> What's better than that? Join us at the Woods Tasting Room, where cider lovers, beer lovers, and seltzer lovers can come together to satisfy their thirst without sacrificing their preferences. For more information, visit SeattleCiderCompany.com or follow Seattle Cider Company on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Seattle Cider Co. You can also follow Two Beers Brewing on social media at Two Beers Brewing
0: uh you talked earlier a little bit about um your time doing stand-up but i i do want to ask like what got you into stand-up comedy
1: yeah um the the early 2000s on comedy central and i don't know what it's like now i haven't watched comedy central as a channel in a long while uh as like a cable television channel. I, I watched their content on YouTube and stuff, but um the Comedy Central block was stand-up heavy in the early 2000s. There was a there was a show called Premium Blend which was they featured four stand-up comedians who would each do about 5 minutes and so it'd be like a 20 minute, maybe 4 minutes. I think it was about 4 minutes and then the host would do two minutes of time. Four minutes is not a lot, but I mean, you get your you get your shot on cable television. You hit it right. Uh, so they did four minutes, and then uh, they had Comedy Central presents, which were half hour specials. And if you had a really standout performance on Premium Blend, you would get a half hour special on Comedy Central. Uh, and then after premium blend ended they turned that into live at Gotham which was an hour show uh, but the same concept like comedians doing like six minute sets and uh, the 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 good ones getting the the good one or deemed the good ones getting the half hour specials um and then those turned into the hour specials on hBO or comedy Central or any showtime, any of those other kind of platforms. And so I, early on in high school, I started like watching all this a lot and going, oh, you know, I could do this or this would be fun to do. I saw someone do stand up comedy at a talent show. They did okay. Uh, it was at a middle school talent show. And throughout that period after seeing her do it, uh, I was like, I could, you know, I could try to do this. And so I kept watching these Comedy Central specials in, in various degrees. And finally, my junior year, I think it was February 28th uh, of my junior year of high school, I did stand-up comedy at a church talent show for the first time. Uh, but the, the the reason I did that that show was because of all the stand-up I watched uh, on Comedy Central, and those were people like, I mean, Lewis Black. There there was, there were a lot of comedians that got their start from that era, uh, doing going up that Comedy Central totem pole. And like, if you go back to, I think like '95 is when Premium Blend started, maybe '96, but you'll see like a very young Dane Cook. You'll see a very young Mitch Hedberg, R.I.P. Mitch Hedberg, great comedian. Mm-hmm. Way yeah. more than great comedian. Way more than great comedian. Uh, oh, one of
0: the best. One of the yeah,
1: best. One, I would say, ugh, and you know, I don't even like one liners that much. And he's like top two, top three. <laughs> so good. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Really good comedian. You should definitely if, if you're listening, you should definitely YouTube Mitch Hedberg if you haven't heard of him before. Um, and look up yeah. his, he can make anyone his jokes are like anyone will love his jokes. Anyone. They're right? just good, just good <laughs> like that. Anyway, he got his start comedy central. Uh Dane Cook is the, the main guy and you know everyone makes he got he got super famous and now everyone rags on him. And I have a, right. I have so many opinions on Dane Cook. Uh, but he is the guy who got me started doing stand up comedy. Uh, he had a Comedy Central presents. Did you I don't know if you've ever seen it or you ever watched I've like,
0: seen it, yeah. I mean I was I was it. definitely in the Dane Cook. It.
1: If you've seen yeah, it, you've yeah. seen it. What do you remember from it?
0: Oh my god. I mean I, I have to think back to some of the Just jokes. Legally. I mean the thing that visually the thing i rem- uh definitely the fashion
1: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> the there you go so this is dane Cook's special this is his first have a- he was on premium blend by the way had a great set on premium blend got the half hour special and um he came out in a in a, a black like tank top with like these black cargo pants and it was just like yeah I you know you'd never seen anything like it. And he had I mean his special is absurd. It's um but it's absurd in like the most digest, digestible digestible way. Like the mass audience loved it, but it was very right. weird. He had one part I'll never forget this part. He goes he, he's like talking in the microphone, he's talking to the audience, he goes, drinks? Drinkies? Drinks? You having some drinks? And then he looks right into the camera that is like, you know, like a foot away from the camera if even, and he goes, drinks or you booting black tar heroin? Lose the habit! And it was just like I had never seen anything like this before. It was like so absurd and ridiculous. Um, And so I, from that special, I remember going, dude, I could do this. I could do this. That would be fun. And so I did a church talent show uh, and a lot of I mean, the, the the joke writing that I did for that – for my first set ever in high school um, is the joke writing similar to what – very similar to what I do now. Um, but the way I delivered it was like completely Dane Cook. Like I just loved Dane Cook. So I delivered yeah. it exactly like him.
0: What would you say um, – well, one thing I want to say that before I yeah. ask this next question is like yeah. – It's almost like I I have that, too, where, you know, when I watch something like either whether it's stand up or listening to a piece of music or, you know, a show or a movie and I see something I've never quite seen before, you know, like this is the first uh, thing that comes to mind. And it's maybe not the greatest example, but like, um, you know, I remember watching like Pulp Fiction for the first time Uh and being like, holy shit you can do that in storytelling. Like that's the question. Yeah. Like it's almost like, you know, not well, necessarily the content,
1: but the style. It's like you, you
0: get permission.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What I, cause I just, when you, when you mentioned, when you brought up that example in that way, I thought of Keenan and Kel, which was a show that yeah. basically just broke the, like the two main characters come out on stage to the live audience. It's like, hey, we're going to get into some shit tonight. I don't know if we can cuss. I'm sorry. But they're basically like, no, no, hey, you can. We're going to get into some trouble tonight. Like, come along with us. And then the trouble right. happens. And then after the sh- after the episode, they come back on stage like, oh, man, we got into some trouble. That's essentially what <laughs> Eden and Kel is. And that, when I saw that, I was like, wait, you can do that? Mm-hmm. So same Same mm-hmm. feeling what was it what what did Pulp Fiction do well
0: I for me yeah I I feel like for me it was like it wasn't so much the content but it was just the way in which store like because really like the way that movie starts is in the end of the it's the end of the movie and so it's all the different like it's deconstructing all the different like storylines and the fact that there's all these different stories that are interconnected. And I really like that, like that medium and that form of like, Oh, it doesn't have to be just a conventional kind of hero's journey kind of thing that we've been, you know, studying in school. It's like, you can get experimental with the way that you cut up a story. And I also really loved like, you know, his, his also his fascination with, nostalgia and with the use of music like it all it all has it's breathing it's like a living breathing thing and i also feel the same way about like you know i I watched a lot of adult swim growing up and like that's obviously
1: yes yeah man
0: like it's just like it's just like there are it's almost like uh there's some comfort in the fact that there are people making the zany absurd content being paid for it yes. and also getting away with it and then and know. you're like well fuck dude if they can do it if bob yeah. odenkirk can and and david cross can do a show like mr show or tim yeah. and eric can wow. do this weird shit then like that gives me almost permission to do better or to steal uh those ideas and like yeah. that's what it makes me the your dane cook near uh, anecdote made me think of like it's a, it's almost like you're you're building upon some a baseline that has already been yeah. created.
1: Well, you know, I that's a I I would love to hear the cuz Mr. Show is an interesting story, but I always think of, you know, Peewee's Playhouse before it became yeah. a network show. Do you know this story? Peewee Herman Not really, no. rented rented out a theater on I think the Sunset Strip, a small theater because he wrote this theatrical production for Pee-wee's Playhouse and got, you know, casted it and had so much um, confidence in this product that he rented out this theater for like a year or something and did this full on Pee-wee's Playhouse production. And it ended up being a huge success did it? I think for ten more years or something, right? Honing mm-hmm. this Pee Wee's Playhouse production. Finally, HBO. I don't quote me on how many years all this is, but this is the actual story from what I remember reading from it. Um, is uh, and so HBO finally came, filmed a live production of his show, filmed like that live production that he had been working on for years. And then from there got, I think CBS asked if he would do a show from there. So, I mean, like, how how double-digit years of him going from just this weird screenplay slash playwright thing that he did, uh, doing it years in a theater that he had rented himself uh, and then finally getting on CBS. I think that's so crazy. Um, and that that kind of thing inspires my creative process so much. is like those kind of like just ideas that are too weird for mainstream society. So over years and years, you hone it and make it palatable for other people. and then and then it blows up. I think that's so cool.
0: Yeah, man. I and and that kind of leads leads to the next question of like, you know, I ask this question uh, for every like comedian or person with a comedic uh, background. But my question is like, and you're kind of hinting at this, but um, h- how do you? What what does the word funny mean to you? Like, what do you think is funny?
1: Yeah. What is funny? What do I think is funny? Um, I think. Oh, it's it has to be inclusive and it has to not be punching down on anything. It has to be safe for everyone to laugh at. Um, but after those basic qualification, <laughs> basic, <laughs> yeah, that's hard. I mean, that's hard to qualify that everyone can laugh. I, this is, it's, it's hard to qualify what's funny for me, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think of an easy way to describe it, but it can't hurt other people. My comedy, um, what I, I try with all my comedy to not ever hurt anyone with it. Um, and so right. what I find funny is stuff that first and foremost doesn't hurt anyone. Or maybe, hopefully, empowers people. But if you can find funny and empowering people, um, and not hurting someone, uh, and you can you can find a, a a way to weave through that and and make it funny, that's gonna be the the funniest thing to me. I think. Ah. I hope I explained that right. It's so hard to explain. No, no,
0: no. I mean, it is a hard question because it's so subjective. And and I do think that, you know, comedy within the last, like I would say even 10 years has changed into what you're talking about, about creating more inclusive spaces for artists um, and comedians and audiences, but also, you know, not punching down, which can sometimes be hard because, you know, for me, Specifically, like I always the the kind of comedy that I like, you know, talking about Adult Swim or absurdity, you know, it has a tendency to be there can be there can be like shock to be shocking. And I think that's not interesting anymore. That's more it's kind of boring. I mean,
1: comedy phases itself out pretty quickly. And that that has pretty much died. But it's I mean, no, it's still alive. Uh, But right. But I
0: mean, it could be alive in ways where
1: one of the minority now in that opinion, like most right now, I would say, are like a shock humor. Like, come on. I've heard that before, if not out loud, thinking that at least in their head being like, oh, I don't find that funny anymore. And I don't know why, but I just don't find it funny anymore.
0: Right. And I, I feel like that's what makes your brand of humor successful, because you take a something as pure uh, as Oregon Trail. Um, and that becomes sort of the bit in a way is like, yeah, it's just, it's almost like this. Uh, I feel like it, this is getting academic, but it, it gets into this sort of like post irony discussion of like you know you're not you're not presenting Oregon. it's you're not making fun of it and you're not um you're not necessarily you know punching down you're just you are being authentic to uh your interests by expressing this to the audience and showing them this interest and that in itself is what makes it fun really nice way to
1: frame it
0: yeah like like i feel like it's, But it is also kind of weird and absurd, too. It's like you've yeah. got this person who's going on stage to uh, kind of play a, a, an educational uh, computer game. Yeah. But, um, do, doing it in a way where it's like everyone, for the most part, knows or knows this type of game, especially if they were born in the 90s, raised in the 90s. Um, But also it's like,
1: I I mean, that goes crazy back. But yeah, I I mean, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's a it's a cool vibe, but it's definitely like only I do it. (laughs) Right.
0: So let's let's go there. Let's talk about it. So tell me tell me about like Oregon Trail. So first off, for people, listeners who are not aware of the game, maybe could you just kind of briefly yeah. describe what the premise of the game is yeah yeah
1: so three uh three student teachers in the 70s decided well one of them decided like oh i want to make this social studies topic that i'm required to teach that i'm supposed to teach this next in this next two weeks i want to make it more engaging so essentially they came up with the idea of uh, he came up with the idea of making a board game and his two roommates, who were also studying to be teachers, who were um, uh, studying to be, they're more in the computer field. And I won't get too into it because it's going to be in the documentary. But basically, they were, they were in early computing classes. And were like, you know what? We can make a computer game out of this. Uh, so they made this computer game uh, about westward expansion. Uh, so that one of them could present it to a classroom and let them play it. Um, and it became an absolute hit in that classroom. Uh, and then he had to leave the school, uh, and over the next few years, the Minnesota Educational Computing Consortium, which was like a, a government funded computer program in Minnesota, uh, hired him and he uh brought the Oregon Trail onto there and it blew up from there um it became part of the Apple II library because of because of Mac and then Mac became a company rather than a government funded program created a home computer version of it and it blew up even more so It's had a lot of And then even from there It's had multiple versions I mean there's an Oregon Trail 5 Now there's an Oregon Trail on the Wii So it's had so many Creations from there even But it's just a crazy Crazy story, a crazy game Um, But it was created By three student teachers And they didn't make a dime off of it So um, It's a cool game created from the heart You know
0: yeah, and like, uh, and use as a Sorry, way to again, a, as you said, like
1: twenty-second description. I was like, here's three minutes on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> no,
0: no, like, I mean, yeah, like the, the idea here is if the listener wants to, they can, they can, they can Google it if they want. Yeah, uh, you can give them a little teaser. But I, my uh, next question, like, comes the the idea, of, like, we've already been kind of talking about this, but like. What fascinates you about this game and how do you integrate it into your comedic comedic performances?
1: Yeah. So, um, I guess the the game is like a, a simulation of the covered wagon westward expansion that America had in the 1800s or went through one of the processes. I mean, there's so much going on with westward expansion. That's that's one of the views. Um, and one of the problems with the game is that there's not a Native American view as prevalent as that. So that's that's something that needs to happen in the future. Anyway, um, I can't even remember the question now. There's just so much to talk about with this game. Uh, I guess Yeah,
0: like what, what fascinates situation. you about it?
1: It's just a different simulation every time. So it's a different game every time. And the other thing is that you include people in the game. So you can name the people in the game after uh, people either that you create in your own head or most of the time people in real life. Uh, and so one of the cool things about this show is that Uh, I get to put people who are in the audience in the wagon and I get to put four of them in. And so four is enough people in the audience. If you go around to different sections of the audience and pick four different areas of the crowd, that's enough people for a lot of the audience to be uh, emotionally invested in that specific audience member in their section Or just knowing that audience member personally. Oh, my God, my wife has dysentery. Holy shit, this night just got intense. So I think that's the magic of the show. Is like, oh, my God, we're reliving this childhood experience. But it's in this platform that makes it pretty intense. Like, my wife has dysentery on a computer game in front of, like, 50 people. This is kind of cool (laughs) and intense right now. Um. So I think the, the, the game and, you know, the original game was actually made for four people, four students sat around this game and did different tasks for it. And you'll hear more about that in my documentary about it. But um, the game was meant as a cooperative game. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it, even though it's not it, only one person, kind of the newer renditions of Oregon Trail only I play, really, and um, sometimes, like, when I play in classroom c- classrooms, kids are like, oh, only you get to play. I'm like, yeah, only I'm playing, but just, like, watch, because this gets crazy. Like, this isn't just me. <laughs> this is, like, this is everyone just on. All- in a group together going on this journey where your classmates might die in a virtual world. And it's going to be intense <laughs> um, and it's not going to be actual death, but we're going to get 30 minutes into a game and someone might die. And the entire class is going to be like, Oh, and it's going to be like, it's going to be a memorable moment in your childhood that this happens. Um, so I think bringing that magic to, uh, to like, uh, like an adult, you know, like adults coming out to an enjoy a, a, an evening of entertainment and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we're like, we're, we tipped over in a river and like all our stuff is gone and we got to scrape this together. It's just a cool experience.
0: While also being educated at the same time. <laughs> exactly.
1: And, you know, I do go through that. I, I do have these key points I hit on as well. Um, and then, I, you know, I have openers um, who, like, kind of help bring that experience all together. Uh, so it, it's just a really cool show. I, I like it.
0: So tell me about this documentary. So you were working on a documentary about the origins of the game, about the, um, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about that.
1: So, um, I mean, the the only thing I would really known, I had known a few things about the origins of the game. They're written about in articles. They're written about in in, in these articles, but there, there hasn't really been like a documentary or something that is – the mass audience can easily go like oh here i can watch this thing not everyone reads those articles they're very interesting and maybe a few of you have read like there's a men i think it's called mental floss has a really good article but there's a few articles out there about the origins of the game but nothing that's gone viral really to to a huge extent So I knew very limited information. And basically what I knew is that three student teachers made this game, Um, Oregon Trail. And that was really interesting to me because I'm a teacher. And normally computer games and video games are not made by teachers. They're made by video game creators, right? People who create video games. And this was made by three teachers. So it's like, Oh, my God. And and not only was it made by three teachers, that was all it was made by. There were no, like, you know, entertainment guru video game people, higher-ups in the company that's like, no, this won't. It was just three teachers, like, will this be entertaining enough for kids? And will this teach kids social studies? And it was three teachers, so no, I mean... No bullshit here. It was just, yeah. Anyway, um, the documentary is the origin of that story um, of how this was created. Uh, so that's
2: amazing.
1: Yeah, and and we we have flown to Denver and Minneapolis. To uh, interview the three original creators, we did a group interview with two, and we did a solo interview with another. And so it's the the it's the story of that game, and I mean I won't give too much of it away, but I mean part of this story is literally them hauling this 1970s computer machine, which back then were huge, right? like hauling this thing into a Volvo station wagon and like taking it <laughs> back to their apartment and working on this game over the weekend. So this story is just insane and cool and all the best ways, I think. Um, and so I'm really excited for this thing to come out. We're working on the, um, we're working on the, the trailer right now. Uh, I just did a voiceover for the trailer So hopefully uh, that'll be out soon. Um, But yeah, it's just such a cool story that is in nowhere else I've ever heard. Um, And it won't ever be created again, I don't think. Three teachers um, will never get together and create a game with no no other people looking over it and stuff. It was just a purely educators created game. And I think that's really cool. And it was a game created not to make money. This is the other main part of the documentary. This game was not created to make money in any way. And if you see the documentary, you will very much get the gist that these folks that, that created this game do not really care that they didn't make any money off of this. They are totally okay with people benefiting educationally from this game in the massive way that they did, and that is good enough for them. And I think that's such a cool part of the story as well.
0: Yeah, and and such a a great way to pay homage, and it's almost like a love letter to this thing that you love so dearly.
1: Well, and these folks that created this thing that I love so dearly, you know, because um, they, yeah. they didn't make a dime off this, and they got they've gotten a little bit of recognition, but I mean, no one mm. you you wouldn't ask anyone on the street like if someone on the street said they played Oregon Trail, and you're like, who are the three creators? They wouldn't say, oh, Don Rowich Bill Heineman, and um. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Paul, Paul uh, Dillenberger they wouldn't say even I'm trying to juggle the names all there's they're such a uh, eclectic bunch of names too but yeah people don't know those are the three creators and I think this documentary is going to tell their story in their own words and it's a great story and I think people are really going to fall in love with it and that's what their final going away thing needs to be is people need to be emotionally attached to this story. I think because it's such a cool one and it comes from straight from their hearts, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I love that man. And I, I look forward to, um, when that trailer is released and look forward to watching the documentary eventually. Yeah. Um, So, so, uh, so recently, so before kind of pivoting away from Oregon trail recently, before this whole COVID-19 stuff, (laughs) uh, you received some uh, media attention at sporting (laughs) events. Uh, So, so what's, uh, what's going on there? You're pulling some, some stunts with some, some uh, dancing and some vegetables. What's going on? It
1: it has been a work in progress over years, but, uh, finally, this year, January 3rd, I finally started actually hitting pay dirt with this thing. Um, but uh-huh. starting in about 2013, uh, I started going to college bowl games. Uh, and you can uh-huh. look up what – basically, it's the postseason of college footballs. They have a bunch of bowl games. And one of the bowl games is the famous potato bowl. It's literally this this football game sponsored by the Idaho Potato Commission, and it's on ESPN. Um, and so this kind of goes back to my artistic process, but I kind of, a bunch of people were like, yo, you need to move to Los Angeles, or you need to move to New York, or you need to move to Chicago to like, become famous, right? And I kind of figured out over years, I, I don't really want to move to those places. I kind of want to just find a way to get famous here, maybe, I guess. So uh, over years, I, you know, ESPN being at this football game was like a huge, I was like, oh, cool. This is like a way to support a weird football game supported by, sponsored by the famous Idaho potato commission and also maybe get on TV. And so finally in last year, or this year, I guess, finally this year um, I went to the game and I brought potatoes with me. Uh, Cause that's one of the things I do for, for these. Oh man. There's, there's so much about this thing I do, but uh, <laughs> basically I brought potatoes, raw potatoes to this, football game sponsored by the potato, the famous Idaho potato bowl, this football game brought raw potatoes and danced with those raw potatoes, ate those raw potatoes, and then got put on ESPN. Um, And so my national television debut after I think 14, yeah, 14 years of doing standup comedy was me dancing with potatoes uh, at the famous potato bowl on espn uh, so from there i bought season tickets to the xfl dragons which play at centurylink field also on national television um, and i decided and a friend brought this up like oh you should you know what you should do the same thing you did at the potato bowl but just dance with a different vegetable And I was like, you know, that's great because I recently have started eating vegetables and I think they're really important. So if I danced with a vegetable, I think it would be goofy and cute and noticeable, but also it would would be saying, you know, remember to eat your vegetables and be healthy and make vegetables fun. So I decided (laughs) to dance with broccoli at the XFL games, the XFL Dragons. So I brought broccoli, having no idea really what was going to happen, right? Like, I just brought two huge crowns of broccoli to an XFL game (laughs) with my Dixie Cup uh, jacket and uh, pants. So I did have that too. Um, but, But I brought two crowns of broccoli to a professional football game and, you know, just started dancing with them. And, you know, at the potato bowl, it's empty enough. And it's such a weird event that the, the raw potato dancing thing is, you know, it's weird, but whatever. People are like, eh. but, you know, I, I came to this game. I was like, people might boo me like people might yell at me for this uh, if they don't mm. like it. So I have to be prepared for that. Um, so I brought these two crowns of broccoli, started dancing and people loved it. People loved it. There was my, the moment I realized like, oh, this is going to catch on. There was a guy about 10 rows up from me at this game. Uh, and as I'm dancing with broccoli, uh, this guy goes, hey, broccoli. This like kind of bro guy, right? Hey, broccoli. <laughs> and I look up. It's like a guy that looks like he would be the guy that would be like, dude, sit down and watch the game. He would be that guy. Um, He goes, broccoli. And I look up and he goes, you're awesome. And I go, oh my God. (laughs) That was the moment I knew like, okay, this is like getting through to people. Like even people who normally are like there to watch football are like inviting this pandemonium into their game. Uh, But the very important thing, this is the, 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 the big rule I follow out of respect towards the actual football game, is I only dance when there is not a play about to happen. And usually they'll signify that with music, but I will only dance when there's music playing and when there's not a play happening. But if a play is about to start, I sit down and I make sure to be respectful to people uh, who are watching the game. Uh, and I try not to wear out my welcome, but because it is, <laughs> it is weird that someone's dancing with broccoli, like near them at a football game. Um, but you know, through and there have al- there have only been two home games for the XFL and then it unfortunately got canceled. Um, but I caught on very quickly there. Um, the XFL did an article about me. Uh, the Dragons posted a few times my dance moves on all of their various <laughs> social media. They they even hit me up in the DMs before the, the second game asking where my seats were so they could uh, get me on the Jumbotron uh, more.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And
1: so like a lot of stuff. The Seattle Times interviewed me. They were going to do a full-on Article about just me and why I dance with broccoli and all this. So, like this thing that I kind of just went to a game, it went went in hoping, like, I hope no one yells at me. Um, it kind of <laughs> into this whole thing. Um, and you know, just today, just this morning at about 10 uh, I guess, I don't know how many people do Wallpaper Wednesday, but the Dragons do wall this hashtag called Wallpaper Wednesday. And for mm-hmm. this particular Wednesday, they did a phone wallpaper with me in the middle holding a carrot. they're um, <laughs> smiling. Uh, and so, you know, who knows how many phones I'm on with this wallpaper, but it's just, it's totally taken off. The XFL notices me now and the, the, um, the dragons in general definitely know I exist and they, they real they, they actually really like me, but the XFL as a program likes what I do and they tweet out my moves. Um, and so (laughs) anyway, I can make professional football like more goofy and fun and less toxic I think that's a really good thing to be doing Um, and to be able to, 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 to dance with it and to be able to promote eating vegetables. That's just a cherry on top for the whole thing. So it's been really cool to, to, to get to do all of this.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it goes back to what you were saying earlier about like this idea of being inclusive and not hurting anybody. Like, You're, you're, you're basically just spreading joy and love for this kind of weird, you know, not not even that weird dancing with vegetables. I mean, yeah, that's a little off, but I mean, that's also what makes it funny too. It's because, yeah, I mean
1: the, the, the first big one where, cause the first game I went to two home games and the first game was like, people liked it, but it took like two or three days to really figure out and realize like, Oh, this is like getting a lot of attention, but there was a Reddit article that I think had, I don't even know how many upvotes it had, had a lot of upvotes. And it was just like the, the title was basically like guy at football game dancing with broccoli, I think, or something like that. (laughs) But it had like so many comments and so many upvotes. Um, so I get, oh gosh, what's the station? It's called the Wolf, it Was this country station. They saw it yeah. and started talking about it. Um, and then there was a, uh, he's a good friend of mine now. His name is Kurt, but he, um, he has a radio show, a sports radio show uh, out in Moses Lake. And so I was on his, Program talking about it. I was on a bunch of podcasts. Um, and then uh, the next game, it got even crazier. And, like, the <laughs> Seattle Times interviewed me, like, during, like, the middle of a game. I'm just, like, watching the game. This Seattle Times reporter comes behind me and is like, Hey, so, uh, like, you're obviously, like, pretty well-known here. And I was wondering if you would like to do an article with the Seattle Times. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Um, There was – oh, this is cool. There was a sock company. The sock company called Rock'em Socks randomly, like, found me on Facebook, reached out to me, and <laughs> – was like, yo, what's your address? We like need to give you some free socks. Your dance moves are amazing. And so I gave them my address. They gave me like a handwritten note and a bunch of <laughs> socks. Um, another cool story a, um, I randomly got a text. I don't even know how. Randomly got a text from a reporter from Olympia High School. Just this high school texted me. It was like, Hey could I, I want to do a story about the broccoli thing I was like I'm not even gonna question how you got this number like yes, I will help you do this story that's um, crazy so yeah it's just like a oh and I guess the biggest things were that I was on I got on Sport Center for less than half a second um at the beginning of <laughs> sports Center they do a montage of everything that happened that day. And me with my broccoli was in the montage. And then sure enough, they didn't do any XFL coverage on SportsCenter that day because there's a big boxing match. So I that's the only time I come up in that Sports Center. Um, which is too bad because I could have gotten a feature if they, you know, did did a recap of the Dragons game probably. But it's I, I was thinking about this the other day or you know a few weeks ago, and it was I realized that um, I was the only coverage of XFL for that entire Sports Center, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, to get my broccoli That's- on Sports Center.
0: Yeah, and like and and uh, and coming full circle, like you know you were, you, you began talking about boxing. But then, you know, you, yeah. uh, boxing was the one the well, thing I that took, took away my spotlight. Segment.
1: Deontay, Lyle, <laughs> Tyson, Fury, you took away my spotlight. How dare you? <laughs> um,
2: so without,
1: that- they were not talking about dancing with broccoli. Unfortunately, oh, now yeah. they have all the time in the world to be talking about dancing with Broccoli. So hopefully someday you'll hire me on to dance around.
0: I think you're well on your way to get there, man.
1: I hope so. Um, Thanks so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. Uh, Well, uh, this kind of about wraps things up. Um, But uh, so if you wanted to, do you have anything you want to plug, like social media? I know upcoming projects and shows are probably on hold, but... Uh, Yeah, yeah, like where can people find you?
1: live show's coming up, but uh, I just recently got a TikTok. Uh, So if you're on TikTok, (laughs) I'm at Jim Stewart Allen, and that's where I post my dance moves. But I also have been posting – I figured out how to screen record. So I've been posting like uh, Barstool Sports retweeted my moves at one point. So I retweeted that – what?
0: Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No.
1: No, so yeah, Barstool Sports retweeted me one or tweeted my moves once. This is like back in January, but I finally figured out how to screen record. So I put those moves up with different songs and a bunch of different stuff. From different media things that I've gotten attention for mixed with some dance moves that I'm doing in my apartment. So my TikTok is really cool. And then Twitter is at Dancing JSA and that's where you can keep up with my interactions with all my broccoli dancing and all my broccoli haters. I have haters. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> they're cool though. I like my haters. They're funny. Um, and then I have Oh, and then my Instagram's at Jim Stewart Allen. So those are the three ways you can follow me through this whole thing. And then once everything starts back up again and I do live shows, you'll be able to get updated through those avenues.
0: That's great, man. Well, hey, hey yep. Jim, thanks for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. And, uh, you know, stay safe, stay inside, and uh, hey, hopefully uh, we can awesome. reconnect. Oh my gosh! Yeah. When
1: everything's
0: back to normal again, yeah. Funhouse. Thank you, Adam, for reminding us to enjoy the Funhouse Family podcast, not Dragon Ball Z. Join us again next time as we talk to prolific educator and writer Robin D'Angelo. If you like what you heard, help us out by subscribing and leaving us a review. Find us at funhousefam.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at funhouse fam where you can get all the updates for everything funhouse events auditions artistic opportunities and scripts submissions. i'd also like to credit zach pearson for writing us a new funhouse family theme song thanks zach join us again next time bye bye